we'll get we'll get on track here. Genesis chapter ten. We've been going through Genesis now through quite some time. Now uh, we're post flood. We know that Noah and his three sons and their wives um, were told to uh, again be fruitful, multiply, populate the earth. Um, and last week, I believe it was that we um, we talked about that. Uh, as a Christian, when it comes to worldview, somebody asked a Christian, well, where do you think all the ethnicities came from? Where do you think the whole world's population came from? The biblical answer to that question is, well, Noah and his three sons and their wives are responsible for populating the whole earth. And we're not going to dive into that one again. We talked about that already. But here in chapter 10, we actually have those lineages fleshed out for us. Um, we have a table of nations here in Genesis chapter 10. So as we go through this, um, I don't know if, if you're the top. Uh, I struggle with this too. A lot of times when we come to genealogies in Scripture, we're kind of tempted to maybe just gloss over them or we're, we have that thing within us that makes us feel like we're in a a college lecture again where somebody's just repeating history to us and going through stuff and we might find ourselves getting distracted or we might find ourselves getting halfway through uh, the lineage and thinking, what have I been reading for the last couple of minutes? And we go back to the top and we say, okay, I'm going to focus this time. I'm going to get through it. And then we get halfway through it. We're like, oh, I got nothing. I'm not retaining anything that I'm reading right now. So before we dive in, I'm going to go ahead and put a couple of things in your mind that hopefully will help keep us focused in on this. First off, we're still in the Genesis study. Uh, this genealogy, this lineage, this table of nations is important in the, the grand scope of Genesis and what it means for all of creation, what it means for mankind. Think about this. If what we're reading here is a, uh, is a, is a brief introduction and a brief explanation to where all of the nation groups of the world came from. Well then this matters when you think about the gospel. When we think about the fact that whoever believes. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord. Will be saved. Well, well that's important. That, that, that covers the entire globe. And we think about well right here in Genesis chapter 10. We get this, um, we get this explanation. And we get this description of where Noah his sons and the people that came after them, where they ended up, where they went to. And then from there, the, the rest of the world as we know it, the population of the world as we know it, came from them. That's important. It's interesting to note that. And then to go backwards with it, instead of going forwards, again, keep in mind that we made um, a great importance of the fact that God told the serpent in the garden, there'll be enmity, between your seed, the seed of the woman, you'll bruise his heel, he'll crush your head or bruise your head. That line is still going. Even when God brought the flood, when he judged mankind through the flood, Noah, from the line of Seth, that line is continued. So mankind connects back to Adam and Eve. And that is important because... Through Adam and the fall, 
All mankind, all people everywhere are born in sin. That's important. That's significant. Now, to dissect that a little bit. That all of the world's population, this, this affects the whole world's population. We're all born in sin. To dissect that a little bit because we talked about how this, the gospel is for all people. Well, in the Old Testament, we know that God's people, we're not there yet. We're going to get to Abraham very soon. But God's people is Israel. They have their land. They exist as a nation. They have their prophets. They have their kings, right? That's important. God's people in the Old Testament would say, well, God's people is Israel. But even in the Old Testament, you see some Gentiles who, uh, who are grafted in, so to speak. But when Christ comes, lives his perfect, sinless life, is crucified, buried, and risen again. If you were to go to the book of Acts, the day of Pentecost, you would read that account that everyone that was there heard the great and mighty works of God in their own language. And there was thousands added to the family of God that day. Thousands added to the body of believers that day. Well, that wasn't just ethnic Israel, ethnic Jews. That was people from, from all over. And we know throughout the rest of the New Testament, there's a whole lot of Gentiles that are brought into the family of God. The body of believers. But we're also told that those Gentiles. If you are of the faith. You are the seed of Abraham. Well that's very important. Because the seed of Abraham. That takes us all the way back to Genesis 12. So I know that I'm kind of jumping the gun in some aspects. But I want to go ahead and plant these seeds in your mind. So that they are there. This genealogy, this lineage, this table of nations that we're looking at today is important for the, for the whole scope of the rest of Scripture. For the entirety of the rest of Scripture. And it's important for the sake of the gospel. Because Noah gave a blessing and a curse at the end of chapter 9. Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. But he also said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem. And let Canaan be his servant. And that brings us to chapter 10. Now some of these names. We are, we are in South Georgia so y'all bear with me a little bit. Okay, There's a lot of names to be read here. These are the generations of the sons of Noah. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth. Gomer, Magog. Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tyrus. The sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Riphath, and Togarmah. The sons of Javan, Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodanim. From these the coastland people spread in their lands, each with his own language, by their clans, in their nations. The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Rama, and Sabteca. The sons of Rama, Sheba, and Dadan. Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kalna, in the land of Shinar. From that land he went into Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth-ur, 
Kala and Rezin between Nineveh and Kala. That is the great city. Egypt fathered Ludum, Anamim, Lahabim, Naphtahim, Pothrasim, Caslahim, from whom the Philistines came, and Kaphtarim. Canaan fathered Sidon, his firstborn Heth, and the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Archites, the Sinites, the Arvidites, the Zemorites, and the Hamathites. Afterward, the clans of the Canaanites dispersed, and the territory of the Canaanites extended from Sidon in, in the direction of Gerar as far as Gaza, and in the direction of Sodom, Gomorrah, Admah, and Zeboim as far as Lasha. These are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. Now, there's a lot of connections there with Ham, and we know that Ham is the, the, the cursed nation, the cursed line. Actually, Canaan, which is the son of Ham. So, when we were reading through the list of ites, you probably, maybe you thought to yourself, and if you didn't, uh, then I'm going to go ahead and plant this in your mind. But you may have thought to yourself, all of those ites, those are the people that they're, they're Israel's enemies. They're the ones who want Israel to suffer. They're the ones who want to take Israel captive. They're the ones who want to wipe Israel off the face of the map. These are the people that hate God. Why would God allow them to grow and to thrive and to spread across the earth? Why wouldn't he just wipe them out if they were going to be the enemies of his people? Well, one thing to consider is that the land of Canaan was actually the land that God promises his people. I've prepared a land for you. And he leaves in there. That is the promised land, the land of Canaan. But think about all of the battles, all of the wars, all of the back and forth, all of the times that Israel was taken captive by their enemies in the Old Testament. Think ahead. Think throughout all the Old Testament and think about all of the times that God showed himself faithful to his people in using these ungodly pagan nations, whether that be to overtake his people in judgment and his people were taken captive whether it be to sanctify and purify his people by leaving a remnant left behind after the, um, after the, the, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> after his people were taken in bondage, um, his people are left a remnant and they're purified and they're sanctified. But all the times that God used, yes, even the pagan nations, the enemies of his people, that he used them for his purpose and for his glory. But all of those things that actually did pertain to his people directly in God's plan for his people and carrying all of that out through the years and in everything that Israel went through in the Old Testament, all of the judgment that they had, all of the times they were in bondage, all of the times they, they served as slaves and servants to other nations, yet the, the line of the promised one, the line of Jesus Christ is preserved and carried out all the way through the Old Testament. And of course, in the New Testament, we know that Jesus Christ does come onto the scene, if you will. And you see God's faithfulness through all of that. Through all of that. And that's really just one thought when it comes to why. Why would God allow these earthly, ungodly, pagan lines of people to, to populate, to flourish, to, to have their own kingdoms when he knows that they're going to attack his people and be against his people? 
And the answer is even even in the acts and the works of ungodly kingdoms, ungodly kings, ungodly people. God is still sovereign and God is using even those ungodly lines and those wicked nations to accomplish His purpose and His will in all of creation. And for His people specifically, for His people, He's working all of that together for good. For their good. And for His glory. And we still see that today in our time. We look around, we say there's so much wickedness in the world today. There's so much wrongdoing in the world today. And here we are, God's people. We are alive in the midst of Of an evil, wicked, crooked, perverse generation. And yet even today. We can hold firmly to the promise and the truth that. God is working all things together. For good. For those that love him and are called according to his purpose. And we can also hold firm to the the fact and the truth that. God is working all things. In all of creation. Everything that's going on. He's working it according to his purpose and his will that he is going to accomplish because none can stay the hand of God. None can thwart the plans of God. And so here in Genesis, we can really, we start again, I I told you once we got to chapter nine, there's going to be a lot to unpack and we're going to be kind of moving quickly uh, because there's just so much and there's so many connections to make. But here just in the first 10 chapters of Genesis, I hope that God has already renewed our minds to the extent that when we read Genesis now, and even as we're reading these genealogies, our mind is starting to go forward and forward and forward. And we're thinking through the Old Testament and we're thinking through the New Testament. And now we're even thinking about our time today and we're saying, wow, God was sovereign over all these things then and He's still sovereign over all things now. God put these people and, and, and place them where, where he wanted them. And he allowed them to go and to thrive where he wanted them to go and to thrive. And, and all of these people groups are right where God would have them be. And there's a purpose in that. And there's even a purpose in God allowing the ungodly line and, and the wicked line and the cursed line of Canaan to, to prosper in an earthly sense. There's a reason in all of that. And God's going to use all of that. And again, we know ultimately that salvation, the gospel, is for people of every tribe, tongue, and nation. It was never God's plan to only save and redeem ethnic Israel. It was always God's plan to save people from every tribe, tongue, and nation Even those that have connections and lineages to the cursed line of Canaan. That was always the plan of God. Verse 21 to Shem also the father of all the children of Eber, the elder brother of Japheth children were born. The sons of Shem, Elam, Asher, uh, Arpachshad, Lud, and Aram. The sons of Aram, Uz, Hul, Gether, and Mash. Uh, Arpachshad fathered Shelah, and Shelah fathered Eber. To Eber were born two sons. The name of the one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. <clears throat> Joktan fathered Almadad, Shelah, 
Hazer Maveth, Jerah, Hadoram, Uzal, and Dekla, Obel, Abimael, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jobab. All these were the sons of Joktan. The territory in which they lived extended from uh, Mesha in the direction of Sephar to the hill country of the east. These are the sons of Shem by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. These are the clans of the sons of Noah according to their genealogies in their nations. And from these, <clears throat> the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. Now, real quick, Peleg was mentioned, but only his brother's lineage or his brother's sons were mentioned. Because it says, To Eber was born two sons. One was Peleg, and the other was Joktan. Then it says, Joktan fathered, and then it gives a list there. If you go to chapter 11, verse 18, <clears throat> that's where we find Peleg again. When Peleg had lived 30 years, he fathered Ru. And Peleg lived after he fathered Ru 209 years and had other sons and daughters. Then we have Ru and his sons. Then we have Sarag. Then we get to Sarag had lived 30 years. He fathered Nahor. This is verse 22, verse 22 of Genesis 11. And Sarag lived after he fathered Nahor 200 years and had other sons and daughters. When Nahor had lived 29 years, he fathered Terah. Nahor lived after he fathered Terah 119 years and had other sons. When Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, who becomes Abraham. Nahor and Haran. So from that line that includes Peleg, that line is tied directly to Abraham. That's why these genealogies are important. Because once we get to Abraham, what do we find there? Well, God gives Abraham a promise that in him, all the nations of the earth have been blessed, will be blessed. All the nations. Now we've just read Genesis 10, which the table of nations. In Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. What on earth could that mean? Well, that's right. Abraham, he had a promised son, Isaac. But we know that Jesus was the true promised son. And through that line that's carried on, right through Abraham all the way up to Christ, in Abraham, all the nations, because the gospel is for all people, Salvation has come to Jew and Gentile alike. All the nations of the earth are blessed. All the nations of the earth, which come from Shem, Ham, and Japheth. All of the nations of the earth, Jew and Gentile alike. Once we get to Abraham, that promise is given that in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. That's important. We need to know these things. We need to be able to make these connections. And by, and by the way, there, there's connections here that, that you know, I, as I'm stu- I said in Sunday school, as I was studying and preparing this lesson, and I, and I said it earlier today too, I mean, I got excited. I've, I've preached through Genesis before. I'm continuing to study, and there's things that's like, wow, there's so much here to unpack. But for sake of time today, I'm just going to try to point out a couple of different things. The main point to be made today, really I've already made it. That God is sovereign over all of this. God was sovereign in creation. God was sovereign in the flood. God was sovereign in preserving and saving Noah and his family. 
And God is sovereign over the nations of the earth and where they end up. And what they will do. There's 70 nations mentioned in Genesis 10. There's 70 nations that we've looked at. Now, a connection was made uh, in one of the commentaries I was reading through. And I want to bring that up because I don't want any of y'all to think. I don't want any of y'all to give me credit. Like I I sat here and read all 70 and then I was making a note. We stand on the shoulders of giants, but one of the commentaries that I was looking through referenced Genesis, uh, Genesis, Deuteronomy 32, verse 8. Because the connection that was made was when Jacob, and Jacob's name was later changed to Israel, but when Jacob's family or clan went into Egypt, they were 70 in number. When the Most High, this is Deuteronomy 32, verse 8. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when He divided mankind, He fixed the borders of the people according to the number of the sons of God. Okay? So, or the sons of Israel. So there seems to be a biblical connection there. There were 70 that went into Egypt. There were 70 nations given. And and in the song of uh, Moses in Deuteronomy, He even alludes to this. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when He divided mankind, He fixed the borders of the people. So again, you see God's sovereignty there. He fixed the borders of the people. But He did this according to the number of the sons of God or according to the number of the sons of Israel. In Acts 17, we've referenced this before, so I'm not going to... Turn there if you want to make that note again. In Acts 17, when Paul is addressing the Areopagus, he says that from one man, God has made all the nations of the earth. From one man came all the nations of the earth. So even Paul makes a connection, makes the true biblical connection all the way back to Adam. From Adam came all of the people on the face of the earth. All the nations from the face of the earth. That's important. God is sovereign over all of this. This is all working out according to God's perfect plan and His plans of redemption for His people. But back to the number 70. If if there is this significance, this real biblical significance to the number 70, then it's actually of interest that in, in Luke chapter 10, When Jesus sends the disciples out two by two, how many does He send? He sends 70. There's 70 that He sends out. It very well could be that that is in reference to the fact that here in Genesis 10, there's 70 nations that is mentioned and from these nations comes every nation, tribe, tongue of the world. And so when Jesus sends out the 70, it's symbolic in the sense that He's sending them out to reach the entire world, to reach every tribe, tongue, and nation that exists. He sends them out. That was one that when I came across that and I would read, read, and read, I'll be honest, I got to the point I I just kept reading. I was like, man. I was uh I kind of got in the weeds, as they say. I was just fascinated by that and I kept reading and looking up these different scripture references. So I'm really trying to just give you a snippet of that. But there's 70 nations mentioned here in Genesis 10. And it very well could be that that is in reference to the number of the the sons of Jacob, the sons of Israel, who went to Egypt. So that later, 
when Jesus sends 70 out, it's in reference to, I'm sending you out to, to share the good news with the world, to share the gospel with the world. And strictly a, a straightforward sense, if, if you if you're wondering exactly what part of the world we're talking about here, where do these nations and these people end up? If you were to look at a globe, we're going to be looking at um, the northern portion of Africa. We're going to be looking at Asia Minor and then Asia. That's where all of these people groups ended up. If you have a Bible that has biblical maps in the back. You probably have a biblical map that's specifically labeled either Table of Nations or um, the, I saw another title for one, but basically it's just the the Old Testament map um, of the nations or of Noah's sons. There's a good chance that you have a Bible or a, a Bible map there. But if you just want to know, those are the areas that we're looking at. And if you look through that line of Ham, of course, you see Egypt. Egypt is a main feature in Israel's history. The land of Canaan is a main feature in Israel's history. So you know that all of these nations, all of these peoples that are mentioned, they play significant roles in the Old Testament history of God and His interaction with His people. God and His faithfulness to His people. And of course we know on the flip side of God's faithfulness to His people. We are going to read much in the Old Testament. Of God's. Of the people of God. And their unfaithfulness. To God and His covenant. To God and His word. If you're familiar. With the book of Genesis and the Old Testament. Then the name Nimrod. Probably stood out to you. And you might have thought, well, Nimrod, that's Tower of Babel. Tower of Babel, that's important. That's chapter 11. We're going to read that. But we're existing in a time now as we're reading the narrative. If we put ourselves in that narrative, we're existing in a time where all the people speak the same language and are together. But we know after the Tower of Babel, what? All of the people are dispersed. All of the languages are disrupted and confused. And there's different languages all throughout. So the name Nimrod may have stood out to you. The city of Nineveh may have stood out to you. Okay. Um, Egypt, of course, probably uh, stood out to you. Assyria may have stood out to you. So hopefully there were some, some names that as we went through them, you, you may have been thinking to yourself, okay, okay, I'm making a connection there. I'm making the Nimrod Tower of Babel. I'm making the connection Egypt. Well, we know that the children of Israel were in bondage in Egypt for 400 years. We also know that that was told to Abraham that that was going to happen. That's definitely a significant part of the plan of God for his people. We think about Nineveh uh, just to make sure everybody's still awake. Um, when we talk about Nineveh, who does that make you think about? Hold on, girls. Let's give them a chance. All right, serenity. Jonah, right? The Ninevites, they were not good people. They were wicked people, right? Really, really bad, nasty people. Okay? So hopefully we're already making some of these connections. But when we think about the Tower of Babel, as referenced earlier, at the Tower of Babel, I mentioned the Day of Pentecost earlier. At the Tower of Babel, all the languages were confused. The Day of Pentecost, there was people from all over that spoke different languages, but they all heard 
in their own language. And so the Tower of Babel, the languages are confused. The day of Pentecost, everybody hears in their own language. They hear the great and the mighty works of God. And so you, you can say, oh, well, that's, you know, that is amazing because in Christ, we're all made one. In Christ, there's neither, there's neither Greek nor Jew nor barbarian nor Scythian nor slave nor free, but all are one in Christ. And that's what the gospel does. All, people from all different backgrounds, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, it makes us one. Wow. Wow. So from this table of nations, we have the entire world to come after. The entire world population. We see God's sovereignty over all of this, even with the cursed line of Canaan. We see God's sovereignty even with the curse line, we know that He's going to use them to accomplish His purposes as well. But we also, thinking ahead, we see God's sovereignty, especially His, His sovereign grace and mercy and His, His blessing to, to, His, to His people, Israel. Again, I, I know that I'm cheating. I know that I'm moving ahead here. But hopefully our minds are spinning and, and we've got, we've got the, the train going in the right direction and we're starting to make these connections. But we're going to see God's sovereign hand Especially with his people carrying them out through through the Old Testament, starting with when we when we get there, when we get to Abraham, if y'all think there's a lot of connections right now, when we get to Abraham, we're really gonna have a blast, right? You get to Abram, the call of Abram, it becomes Abraham, the promised son. Then we have the nation of Israel, which comes out of that. And we see God preserving their line we see God having to punish his people causing his people to suffer and be brought into bondage we see God blessing his people uh, we see God using his people for his own glory but what we see above all else when we just look at it on the grand scale throughout all of scripture we see God's faithfulness to his people to accomplish their redemption and to finish what he started and we see so many things that you think, well, if, if this series of events would have went that way instead of that way, then the nation of Israel would have ceased to exist. Well, if this chain of events would have went this way instead of that way, then God may have had to come up with a different plan to accomplish what he wanted. And, and it's okay to, to speculate like that in, a, in just a fleshly, just a straightforward way. It's okay to say, well, hey, if... If the cards would have fell this way instead of that way, then we would have had a whole nother world. But here's the thing. Not only did the cards not fall this way instead of that way, there was never really a chance that that was going to happen because God is in perfect, complete control throughout all of history. All things work together according to His purposes and His will. He works all things according to the good pleasure of His will. And so we see God's faithfulness to his people to finish what he started, to accomplish their redemption, and to keep his word that goes all the way back to the creation account after the fall, where he says, this is what's going to happen. There's going to be enmity between your seed, serpent, and the seed of the woman, Eve. You will bruise his heel, and he will crush your head. Everything that comes after that is God keeping His Word, God keeping His promise, God fulfilling that which He said would happen in the very beginning.
And that's important for us to grasp that, to meditate on that. And and I'll go ahead and I'll give you a spoiler alert. You're never going to be able to fully wrap your mind around the the vastness and the, the awesomeness of understanding that everything that comes after Genesis and the fall, everything that comes after that is God being faithful to his word and accomplishing that which he said he was going to accomplish. We're, we're never going to be able to fully comprehend the beauty and the magnitude of that truth. But it is amazing and it is humbling and it is edifying and it is sanctifying to sit and just to ponder the awesome power of God. Sovereign of all creation who reigns over all creation and is accomplishing his purposes in all of creation. And one who has shown himself to be faithful time and time again and is still showing himself to be faithful today. God's line in an earthly sense, those that are of the faith, the seed of Abraham, that can be traced back to Abraham. But Abraham and that line, we trace that to Jesus. And Jesus leads us to remind ourselves and to rejoice in the fact that Christ came to save sinners and all who believe will be saved. Not just ethnic Israel, not just the Jewish nation, but all people of every tribe, tongue and nation, all who believe, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So we start with the table of nations and we know that this is the table of nations. This literally leads to the population of the whole world. And we jump ahead. I've been kind of breaking it down, but let's just now we'll encapsulate it. This leads us to Christ. And the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of the birth of Christ is that it is good news to all people. All people need to understand that it is good news that Christ was born. Because every single human that's ever lived stands in need of salvation because all have fallen short of the glory of God. So it is good news that Christ was born. Because Christ came for the salvation of sinners. Even even those of a Gentile lineage. Even those who can trace their ancestry directly back to the line of Canaan. All who believe will be saved. And what does that result in? Turn with me to Revelation 7 and we'll close with this. What does it result in? It's important for us to understand that all people all over the globe, that the nations, the tribes, the tongues, everybody, anything that you can think of, any different population or people group that you can think of, God made them all from one man. In Adam all have sinned. In Adam all die. When we say that mankind is born in sin, there is no race, ethnicity, or anything, any people group that is left out of that. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We read in Genesis 10 of the table of nations. There was a flood. Noah of the line of Seth and his family was saved. His three sons and their wives as well. They were told to populate the earth. And they did. From Noah's three sons, all of the people groups that spread upon the earth came from them. So we read the table of nations. That's important because we understand, hey, we all have 
a common ancestor. We all have a common thread. We're all born in sin. But from one of their lines comes Abraham. From Abraham's line comes Christ. And the birth of Christ. The life of Christ. The crucifixion of Christ. The burial of Christ. The resurrection of Christ. Is important from people, for people from every nation. Because he came to save sinners. And that's good news for people of every tribe, tongue, and nation. So what does that result in? It results in this. And I pray that all of us are eagerly looking forward to this day. Revelation 7 verse 1. After this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on the earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Jump to verse 9. You have a list of the tribes there. Verse 9 says, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no man could number. From every nation. From all tribes and peoples and tongues. Standing before the throne and before the, before the Lamb. Clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands. And crying out with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their face before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. What does it all result in? An innumerable multitude, people from every tribe, tongue and nation that we can all trace back to Shem, Ham and Japheth, but people from every tribe, tongue and nation will be rejoicing eternally because salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. So I hope that we've learned much. I hope that we've been caused to think about much. I hope that our minds, that God is leading us to make these biblical connections and these scriptural connections. But I also hope, just in an immediate sense and in a straightforward sense, there's nothing deep and weighty about this really. I hope and I pray that your mind is starting to change about some of these genealogies and lineages in Scripture, that yes, even they can be very exciting and very enjoyable to go through when we know and we truly believe that every word is profitable because every word is God-breathed. So think about these things. Meditate upon these things. I pray that God would be glorified in the preaching and teaching of His Word today. Let's close in a word of prayer.